there's a couple ways to start this, but I would like to learn a little bit more about what you're doing at Money 2020 while sure. you're there. But I've never heard uh, why you got into fintech in the first place. So let's start there. Oh, so, I never told you that story. Yeah. So it actually kind of it goes back to Kansas City. It goes back to kind of where we're sitting. Um, so grew up for folks that are not from KC, this won't mean anything to you, but grew up east of Troost. And what that means in Kansas City is grew up on the black side of the racial dividing line that we have as a city. And as a, you know, white kid in that experience was a very unique spot to be. I was like between like three check cashers and a Popeyes, right? Like it was a very unique spot to grow up. And based on like, based on my ability to based on my mom's ability to save enough money to get us the hell out of that neighborhood and where I ended up going to school and all these other things. Not that I went to good schools, just I like didn't go to absolutely terrible non-accredited Missouri schools. Right. I was able to get the fuck out a little bit. Um, from there, I just kind of took this thing with me of like, what is money? Right. My dad went bankrupt twice when I was a kid. I just like was very curious about the whole thing, but my mom was always very responsible. Like she was the reason that we got out of there, all these sorts of things. Fast forward, I end up getting to college and I was doing an internship at Merrill Lynch and we were selling like beautifully organized, low cost, low fee portfolios to the people that should have them, right? Like it felt like this like good service that we were doing for the world and they were being compensated. My bosses, I mean, I was an intern. They were being compensated quite well for this thing. All of a sudden we go to lunch, right? With this salesperson from a certain large insurance corporation. This person is selling us annuities, which exist for a reason and are great for certain people that are candidly closer to the end of life than, you know, the beginning of it. Right. So like you or I having an annuity, probably we just got raked over the coals and we're paying a 3% fee on something mm -hmm. that we shouldn't have at all. Right. So I, we went to this lunch. It was delicious. It was a nice little lunch. Go back to the office. And all of a sudden we go from selling these low fee, low cost, beautifully organized portfolios to Hey, you're 27 and you have 750K yourself and you just got a million dollars from your parents passing. I bet you need an annuity. And I just was sitting in the room. I was like, what? Like looked around, like, is that legal? Like we yeah. just, we, we were, we were over here in left field and you just went all the way to right field after one launch, just from realizing that you can make granted 10x what you were making on those index funds mm -hmm. but like this is people's lives what right. are we doing here right. right so in that exact moment i was pretty much just like i can't believe this is legal i can't believe this is something that like people are just accepting almost applauding to some degree mm -hmm. and i have to i don't know what the hell i can do about this based on where i come from and who i am and you know all of that but like i need to leave this industry like better than i found it when i die because it seems like everything comes back to money, right? Like I was still a call. Like I was like, I didn't actually understand what the hell was going on around me. I was just seeing that this money thing seemed to matter. So that was the like emotional appeal of it. And then I got into like I was studying entrepreneurship in school, and that meant jack shit. So I started joining startups. And one of the startups I joined was a robo advisor called Bloom that recently got bought by Morgan Stanley, which is a longer story. Um, but yeah, that was the kind of the beginning of it. Basically, I just got so pissed off that I decided I wanted to spend the rest of life in the industry sort of thing. If you had not had that experience uh, as a kid, would it would it mean anything to you? Do you think you, let's say you ended up in finance somehow 
but had a different experience. Grew up in manicured suburbs. Yeah. Do you think that you would have the same point of view or do you feel like it, it is something that's at the forefront of your mind and always influences Dude, like, it's, decisions it's you make? Always at the forefront. I mean, yeah. it's, I, if I had, I mean, being a six foot, whatever white dude, like it, had I grown up in that where most people assume that I grew up, Honestly, I think I'd probably be wearing a three-piece suit sitting out in Leewood at Merrill Lynch. I probably wouldn't have even thought that that was a bad thing, you know? And I think, like, my dad going bankrupt, like, all of those things early in life. And Kansas City being, you know, the center of the payday loan world, right? Like, not just in terms of check cashing, but in terms of, like, Scott Tucker's somewhere in Leavenworth in jail, right? Because he ran one of the largest payday loan. I almost said payday loan scams. It wasn't a scam. It was just a fucking company, right? right? It was business. Um, but it was not a legal business. <laughs> so... All of that and like caring about it and paying attention to it. And also I think that I think growing up without money led me to being so curious about money. Right. I think if you grow up with a little bit of it, maybe you want more of it, but you're not trying to figure out the root cause of the lack thereof or anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think growing up where I grew up is actually the reason that I give a shit. Otherwise I think I'd probably, like, I'd weirdly, I spend my whole life in money. I don't, I like money. I like to make more of it, yada, yada, yada. But like, I don't obsess about, you know, the market going up or down, or I don't even pay that much attention to money. It just kind of is a thing that's part of my life. It's more so like the infrastructure of it, the ecosystem of it that absolutely fascinates me and the policy and all that. Yeah. Um, well, you and I have that in common, actually. Both of our uh, dads have experienced bankruptcy. You never told me that. Yeah. Were, how old were you a kid, too? Uh, I was too young to remember. Um, when it would have happened. I was so, almost too young. I was like, I think I was like eight the first time before, before I was born, actually. Um, um, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and, and it happened to be about the same time. My dad, my dad's dream was to be a farmer. He, he wanted to be a farmer. He wanted to have his own land and do his own thing. He wanted to be okay. as independent as possible. And that was his dream. And whenever you're, you're fresh out of school, you're, you know, your wife is now diagnosed with cancer and then the market tanks in that industry and you've got mounting bills. And when you go to the banks and there's basically no financial instruments to allow you to weather through a right. couple of bad years, yeah. you're squeezed out. Yeah. And so he ended up having to file bankruptcy as like no other option and, uh, you know, get like a, a regular job and yeah. kind of give up on that dream. So I was, I would have been uh, very young at that time. So I didn't see it firsthand. I just sort of saw the what that did for the next decade. Yeah, you know, the domino that, effect that follows you. Oh, it follows you big time. You I mean, you don't make that decision, and then like next year's fine. It's, yeah, it's something that follows you for a long period of time. Yeah, so. it sticks with you. But that's, I mean, that's a, I mean, I won't go too deep into it, but my my dad stuff came down to like bad decision making, you know, and credit card debt and things like that. Yours actually sounds somewhat inspirational. Like that actually sounds, I mean, it's, that's rough as shit. I mean, all of that sounds very tough, but I mean, looking around at the office you have, looking around at what you've built, like it seems like maybe there's some overlap in terms of how that, or right. not overlap, but like maybe there's a seed there leading to your entrepreneurial nature. Uh, I think when you, when you've experienced, if you look at people who have maybe achieved just a little bit more, there's yeah. some sort of driver probably behind them to motivation. And also they understand like, when you have a tough day at work, like this isn't that tough, yeah. right? I've been through something yeah. that's a little tougher. So you, yeah. you, I think get more resilience. Yeah. I would say though, that what it has informed for me, like that experience I'm talking about, it's more about, you know, we're in a position to multiply what our clients do through marketing. Right. Yeah. 
So what that has done is I've always believed that we can't work for anybody who I feel like has a negative impact. You talk about payday loans. would never touch that stuff. Yeah. Work with a lot of financial groups who I consider basically neutral impact, right? For something I may not agree with, I definitely agree and support something else I do. And so yes. it's, it's kind of like neutral, maybe positive. Yeah. But then there's some of these fintechs that we have worked with. I'm like, this is great. Like you're removing friction in something that has been really cost prohibitive to groups or you're giving them more optionality that they didn't have. And I think over time, the more you're connected to those like origin stories of the things that kind of brought you some pain, you know, as you're growing up, you just want to put more energy to the solution, which sounds like you've made that decision, right? Like you, you, you could have said, you know what, screw this. I'm leaving the industry. And said, you said, I'm going to leave it better than I found it. Right. And yeah. So that takes a lot of effort to dig in and do that. It, it does. I mean, that's one way to think about it. The other way to think about it is like the fruit hangs so low that I'm just picking it up off the right. goddamn ground. You know, <laughs> it's such an immoral, unethical, like gross industry that it's like, you want to improve it? Like get out of bed in the morning. Right. Like that's pretty much, that's pretty much what's required. So you're, is, you're very connected in this industry. And you're probably not shy about that point of view. What's the reception to people in the industry when you share that? Do they're like, oh, yeah, we agree and we want to do something too? Or do they be like, oh, man, this guy's offending us? So there's 98% of, and this is true, like billionaires, this is, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky because of my job to get to talk to a lot of people that I probably shouldn't get to talk to. Um, and a lot of very hyper-capitalistic people, Right. I don't think I've ever had anybody overtly disagree with that point of view. I think anyone, even if they like silver spoon, you know, end up at Goldman, do, do all of the douchiest things that you can do in life sort of thing. Like even then they're like, they're aware of it, right? Even if they never felt it, they're aware of the fact that that is out there. They're aware that that's someone's experience. And especially like to the, you know, the douchebag sitting on a trading floor, like probably they're thinking about taking advantage of that person in some way, shape or form. So, and when they grow up and realize that like, Oh, I was maybe a bad actor bad in back in the day when I was doing, you know, this specific kind of trading at this specific spot. And then they end up at a FinTech later or they end up, you know, just growing up, maturing and seeing the rest of the world. They're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're right. I mean, it's really hard. You would have to bury your head really far in the sand to think that the financial industry is not, taking advantage of some people doing some negative things like, but I mean, you can say the same of any industry, sure. right? I mean, at the end of the day, but it's in finance, I think it's just, it's overt and it impacts people emotionally in a way that's different. Um, I think the one, one or two times that I've had people be just confused or not see that point of view have been executives from the top three largest banks in the U S they tend to not get it, but then sometimes they do. Do you think that's um, the distance they have from the potential consequences? I think like on the on the day to day level, the the street level, like they just they're just so far away from it. I think that they would prefer to disassociate themselves from right. the bad that they do. Right. And in, in a lot of cases, like I think it's like a Lockheed Martin executive being like, you know, we build planes. We're, you know, moving people around. We're doing good for the world. It's like, what about the bombs that killed, you know, however many thousand people over the last year? They're like, well, we'd rather not think about that. Right. And I think it's the same for the big banks. And, and I think humans generally do what they need to do to get through the day. Right. And tell themselves the stories they need to tell themselves to make it work. So what 
they actually believe, I think is maybe a different thing than what comes out of their mouth pretty often, especially like in the conversations when they do disagree with me, there is emotion there, you know, and you can tell that it's not generally emotion of like real vigor of disagreement. It's emotion of like, fuck you, don't point that out. This is my life, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. It, to me, I've always believed that, first of all, the financial industry does a lot of good, right? Like it, mm -hmm. it, you can't argue with it. It does a lot of good. Well, it's necessary. It's necessary yeah. and it's needed. And with it being less sophisticated, um, could have, you know, ripple down consequences that could be really rough. Right. And so yeah. we've advanced as a society because of how sophisticated it's got. So I acknowledge that. At the same time, I feel like it has gotten so abstracted in some cases that some of the major decisions are done just so far away from what this does from like a human impact to the point where it becomes numbers on a page oh, yeah. and you kind of forget the human story behind what that actually means. And yeah. it's inconvenient to slow down and think about that. So you just try to disassociate and stay away from it. So I yeah. think that's one of it. And then I think the thing that does have the most high fidelity, like empathy is the person in your cohort next to you and am I outdoing them mm -hmm. and envy creates greed, mm -hmm. creates competitiveness, creates let's do whatever it takes to get ahead of this person that I do see every day, which is my peer who I want to be ahead of. So that's kind of my take on that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think it, it comes back to that capitalism thing, right? And I think that you can have, like both can be true and you can like square that circle sort of a thing, right? Like you can be very competitive and you can be very like, I want to make more than this person, but also be like, well, this whole thing's fucked. You know, <laughs> like I think that those both at the same time. And, and I think that there's also a certain amount of like, you know, I'm going to die leaving most of this industry the way that it is for the most part, or like it's going to change on its own. Like, it's not like I have some, you know, thing where I'm actually able to impact like yeah. that. Why I do what I do now is to like, I refer to myself as the neck that, or not myself, but my team as the neck that turns the head of the industry, right? And it's from a big fat Greek wedding quote, but it's literally just like, I'm not, I'm not Jamie Dimon. I'm not the one that can make those decisions. But if I can like point people in a direction that is like slightly better than that direction, then probably the world is a slightly better place. And it's so necessary because to me, what FinTech has introduced and the digitization of all these traditional means is that it has it has disrupted things and it has removed frictions, but it can go both ways. I mean, oh, yeah. it, you can take advantage in, of people in far more sophisticated, scalable ways, but you can also do good mm -hmm. and in more ways. And so you probably see both sides of that. You know, the ones oh, yeah. who are like, oh, wow, <laughs> they've got a much better way to kind of take, you know, people's money who shouldn't be given it. But you also see the people who may have a background story that has inspired them to do something about it and see yeah. technologies would do that. And so you're, you're saying you're in this role now where you can say, not them, these guys, like, this yeah, is the ones that point the camera. Yeah. yeah. Or like, you know, I think a good example is like the, the crypto world, right? It's very easy to look at the crypto world and just find shysters and find fraudsters and like money laundering's rampant tornado cash like i mean the idea that you put your cash into something called tornado cash in the first place like it's kind of on you but like this is it's all insane right like, and there's like for the most part no use cases there when you talk about crypto but then if you talk about blockchain right. and some of the remittances and like the ability to send money from the u.s down to guadalajara or whatever yep. it is right like there's some really good shit that comes out of that 
but it's the ability to like separate the hype from the underlying infrastructure and technology, which I mean, everybody's been talking about that for years, right? Since the start of crypto, it's been like, well, no, I'm pro blockchain, not pro crypto, but it's impossible not to get swept up in thousand percent upswings. Like, I, I mean, I am the definition of like crypto skeptical in a lot of ways. But I was victim of, you know, like as if I'm not going to buy some Bitcoin while it's ripping. Of course I am. Like, it's fun, you know? So it's 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 like the hype machine, no, being aware of it, knowing that it's going to go some like absolutely terrible directions and being able to separate the actual utility thereof. And I think that's kind of where we're heading as an industry is like, okay, we did that. The hype thing happened. I feel like we almost just went through our own version of like the dot-com boom yeah. sort of thing, right? And like web van has happened, but who's going to be DoorDash, right? Like that's the next question. So I think it's a really exciting time and we're actually shifting into utility focus instead yeah. of just pure fucking hype, 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 hype yeah. sort of thing. I've, I've been critiqued by good friends are like, you're, you should be into crypto of all the people we know, <laughs> like you should be like the most pro crypto guy uh that we know and uh, i'm like well i'm not gonna just because you like technology or just i mean you're you're They're a like, curious technology centric guy so I yeah guess I, it. It, it, I guess that's it and i'm like well i'm, a, I'm almost slightly offended by that statement um but it could <laughs> Today be it is a little offensive yeah <laughs> this was a year ago so there you go. Like, that was a nice that was nicer then yeah so they're like why are you why are you not on this bandwagon and it seems like you're a little bit against it and i'm like i don't need to talk about it but yeah it's not for me and I'm like, I'm definitely not riding the first wave. And they're like, what do you mean by first wave? I'm like, this is, this is a wave. Yeah. And I'm like, they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, the fact that you don't know is concerning and maybe you should give it a little pause, you know, but it's people like to, people like to believe their own version of the world and like to, especially when the music's playing, nobody thinks the music's going to stop. Right. How many times has that been true? Like every economic cycle that we go through, there's always just like, oh, yeah, no, I mean, just keep hiring, you know, keep yeah. hiring, and keep going and then layoffs. And then like as if we it's hard to go against the when the majority are doing something, it's hard to go against it. Yeah, but you've done it. You just toured me around two floors of your office and you have whatever 30, employees. You, you know, you were telling me you don't want to add more than right. five to six people per year. Like you're you're zigging when everyone else is zagging. But also, I think you're trying to build a business that actually lasts and is sustainable and is something that you yeah. kind of do for a longer term that's probably two things and maybe you can relate to this i'd say one is when you grow up feeling like an outsider you don't need to go along with yeah. what everybody else is doing I'm right so totally with you on that you're not persuaded yeah as easily because you it's and and if you that's your mindset and everybody's doing that it's suspicious yeah if anything right? you're like fuck that Right. Just naturally. You're like, I want to go against that. Yeah. I think the other one is just understanding like basic principles. Like, is this on a good foundation? Oh, no, it's not. Um, then it's hype, you know, yeah. and just being able to suss that out. And that takes experience. You just have to learn lessons of like, you know, what's my, also like, what's my strategy? Right. Like, you can't just be floating around being influenced by whatever someone puts in front of you. Like, lock down a strategy yeah. and stick to it and don't deviate from it. Yeah, but it's also, I mean, I also get where they're coming from because you're a founder, you're an entrepreneur, right? Like there's a certain amount of like, you're funny to me because like, I think there's a lot of founders in the world that are just optimists for the sake of optimism. And you've always struck me as like a skeptical optimist hmm. where like you're very optimistic. You clearly think the world is going to like, I don't think entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs. Like you don't start businesses. You don't try to build shit unless you're generally optimistic. But your vibe is always very like, oh, yeah, the world is improving. The world is going up and to the right. But like, I'm skeptical about how clean that line is going to be. Is it just a, you know, diagonal line straight up? 
or is it, you know, a yeah. little bit bumpier than that? Do you consider yourself skeptical? Yeah. 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 Well, I, I wish I was more sometimes to be really? honest. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I mean, I am very, I love a story, you know, and I think humans love stories. I think that's what a lot of what's happened with crypto and what's happened with the markets is like, it's a cool story, you know, Satoshi, all these, like, yeah. nobody knows who he is, all these things. I mean, Vitalik and Ethereum, like, I mean, it's just completely not a human, you know, invents mm -hmm. this thing. I mean, it's an amazing, amazing story. So it's really easy to get caught up in it. My skepticism tends to manifest itself after I've made a dumb decision, <laughs> you know, and I feel like though, like, as I like move on in life, the older I get, like the earlier I'm becoming skeptical in that cycle, but I'm still like, it's expensive education. It's expensive education for sure. Like, I, I don't think I technically like lost money on crypto, but I haven't like made a ton. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, you put some money on the line and you learn some things sort of thing. But yeah, definitely, especially in my current role very skeptical because people just try and sell you a bill of goods quite yeah. regularly. I don't think any of us are born wise. It just comes from life experience and learning the hard way, you know, hundred percent. And yeah. people and mentors can tell you all they want, but the lesson sticks a lot more when it's painful versus just told to you. Yeah. You know totally. I mean? And I actually think it's like easier to be skeptical, right? Like the, the skepticism muscle is a lot easier than the optimism muscle. And I feel like putting them both together is magic, right? Like, yeah. like if you're a skeptic, you're kind of just not that fun to be around. If you're a pure optimist, you're just full of shit. But if the two of them together, you're actually probably going to be a great entrepreneur because you are wondering what's around the corner, but you're still going to go around the corner. Yeah. Right? Like it's a, it's a unique. It's funny you called this term out. I would never describe myself as skeptical, but when we hire, there's a position here that we hire for um, and uh, our SVP of performance, I'll ask him, hey, how was that candidate? He's like, they're not skeptical enough. Huh. And, and that is his one of his favorite things to look for because in this in that in performance media there's a lot of salespeople yeah a lot of sales reps think they've got this like golden you know solution and yeah. it's honestly it's one of the lowest performing ways we can go and so a lot of people in this industry have just bought into that and they're like well it's you know everybody does it it's got to be good and then we're outperforming them with different techniques that aren't as shiny and so that's why we're looking for people who are skeptical because yeah. there's just so many salespeople in that world. And if we buy, if we hire somebody who's just going to follow them, we're always going to have lackluster results. That's really interesting. So that has emerged as this trait that we're always looking for. And my gosh, I, you think it's hard to find them. Yeah. It's hard to find them. Because it's different from curiosity too, right? Like it's inherently a different muscle. Because we've always said we like curiosity, but we've changed that in that position to skepticism. It's mm. just that position because there's a lot of sales reps in that yeah. world. And so that it's, it, it is curiosity, but it's also like, I'm not buying your bullshit that you're selling me because like you haven't even mentioned numbers yet. Right. You know what I mean? Show me. Yeah. Yeah. And when we do the test, when we do the Pepsi challenge and put right. things against each other, it doesn't do very well. Yeah. But it's real slick presentation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic. Cause I think a lot of people think of curiosity and skepticism as uh, synonyms for the most part, but I feel like they are, they're different muscles. They're related. They're related. Yeah, they're in the same family. But skepticism, I think, I don't know. It's 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 interesting. I don't think I've ever said the word skepticism so many times in like two minutes. But it it is a unique. I think it's something that I I actually have gained as a result of spending so much time with VCs. To be honest, I think to be a decent VC, you have to be 
also optimistically skeptical um, and curious, but very skeptical because you're going to see 25 of the same thing. And is oh, it yeah. Travis Kalanick or is it, you know, some fuck trying to start a taxi company? You know, you never know. So that's an, that's an interesting dynamic. But yeah, no, I agree with your your SVP. of How uh, do you see VCs being skeptic, skeptics in a positive way? Uh, I mean, and do you think it's just part of their vetting process? Just a natural step as part of that? I think part of it is that when you're seeing a hundred to however many zeros you want to put on that number deals a year, there's a natural filter that you have to put on every single conversation you have, which is a filter out. Right. It's like if you're talking to a thousand people, what is the fastest way to qualify them out of potentially investing? And I think that manifests itself with a natural sense of skepticism. Right. So it's like I think most VCs have like two to three questions that they can ask founders. And within those two to three questions, not know if they're going to invest or not, but know if they want to dive deeper or if they're just done. Right. And I think that's what it comes down to is like you have to do this like a survival time saving mechanism almost that they have to develop to be able to just like function and yeah. you know maybe maybe have a family. <laughs> if I if I was trying to put myself in their shoes or how I would try to approach it or maybe this is how they do it. I don't know. But in in our world, uh, I learned early on uh, there's this guy, Edward DeBono, who had this like he's called the six thinking hats or something like that. He's okay. basically saying as you get to an idea. You need to go through these six stages of the way you think. Mm-hmm. So I've always kind of carried a couple of those with me. And so when I'm evaluating an idea or we're doing, you know, campaign concepts or whatever, yeah. we're kind of going through that. So, you know, there's an early step of like, man, what if you're right? What if what if this is as good as you say? What if it's better than you say? That's yeah. the optimism, right? Yeah. And you have to follow that with, what if you're exactly wrong? Mm-hmm. Like, how bad could this go? Mm-hmm. Why are we going to lose on this type of deal? Mm-hmm. But you got to kind of hold both of those in the hand at the same time to figure out like, all right, now that I've beat it up on both sides of how good it could be, how bad it could be. Like now where do I stand on this? Yeah. That's an exact, I mean, I think, I think every VC likes to think it's their own like magic sauce, but I think every VC now has gotten to the point of asking the question, what if it goes right? Right. Like how, how good could this be if it, does work right like the natural human tendency is though if it doesn't work but how big could uber be if they created this whole new thing how big could this be you know if you're creating this whole new market and i don't know it's something that i hear vcs talk about a lot but i think in the current market and whatnot i think they still get scared of shit and don't actually execute or act that way but they like to talk about it you've been around vcs for a while i imagine that you've seen their approach uh change or something changed in the past five years? What have you seen evolve in the way that they operate or the way people are approaching them, that type of thing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question. I almost I almost wonder, I wonder if VCs have acted differently or have started acting differently or if I've just grown up. You know, so, so much of this like change in market, change in perspective, like I always come back to that. I always wonder if it's actually like, did that person in Silicon Valley that was investing 10 years ago actually change or did my understanding of them and my like, you know, yeah, probably both in terms of what's actually changed. Man, I mean, I don't know, not much. I mean, I think that the like VCs are a very classical animal that just reacts to the market around them. Right. Like, 
if if money's easy to raise, then they're a specific kind of person. If money's hard to raise, they're a specific kind of person. If markets are tough, they're a different kind of person. If markets are great, they're you know easier kind of person. But in terms of the way that they are or they act, I mean, I think probably the biggest things that have changed in that world are policy and regulatory things, right? So like the Jobs Act, the ability to have more than however many investors on your cap table, like just that whole world has changed. Um, so the ability, I think that they, certain ones of them have the ability to act differently based on who their LP base is, right? So if you're Sequoia and your LP base is all these, like the Kauffman Foundation's, right. you know, uh, actual foundation, or if it's, you know, a whole bunch of us, right? You and me on angel list and right. putting up 10 K or something right. like that. Like that is a very, very different yep conversation um jason calicanis i think like last week or something ran a webinar um because there's this new uh new regulation that basically says that you can solicit funds online for lack of a better term um there's stipulations to it but he ran this webinar and apparently through like a type form got like 51 52 million dollars in committed committed hypothetical capital right, right? in like 20 minutes or something right. like that so things like that I think make it so that as long as you're performing, like you don't have to kiss the ring anymore and you can, as a result of that function a little differently, right? If you don't have to go back to the coffin foundation or go back to, you know, MIT foundation and say like, this is why we did this. This is why we did this. This is why we did this. But if you're just functioning on, you know, 50,000 people that each gave you however much, like that changes that math and changes the dynamic of who you're actually answering to in a really interesting way. So I don't know if the people have changed, but like the set of incentives around them has changed, which yeah. I think is changing the outcome. Yeah. Um, do you feel like investing in general is in vogue now among like 20 year olds? Do you see mm, that? Like an app invest, like uh, just any kind of any, whatever, just investing in general, whether it's smart or yeah, but just like retail investing among 20 year olds. Yeah. I think it's in vogue. I mean, yeah. Amongst the 20 to 30 set. Yeah. I think it's in vogue. I mean, you, I think it was in vogueer last year, you know, before oh yeah, before completely. GameStop. A hundred percent. Yeah. Or during GameStop, I guess. And so. there's research that backs that up. That's not a hunch. I've read that. You yeah. know, I think the economist is talking about that. But I don't I'm not sure I've got to the root cause of like why that is. And I know it's just pendulum swings, but I'm curious if you had any theories of why the pendulum is swung like that. Dude, my my theory is that the PS five gets boring after you're like twenty. Right. Or I mean, maybe it doesn't for some people, but like you grow like most people that are playing in that world, I think one have disposable income. Therefore, for the most part, probably grew up with some disposable income, probably played some video games, probably did some of the things in youth that would lead you to being interested in gambling, basically, for lack of a better term. And I would say that's what they're doing. I wouldn't call it investing. I would call it day trading at best at best yeah and in a lot of cases it's you know just day losing i mean it's just like the the best i mean the speaking of studies like the best thing you can do to erode your wealth right is to trade on a regular basis and to not just buy and hold long term and it, for some reason that stat that concept has just escaped this specific age group and i think they'll, they'll get it eventually because they'll just get smacked in the face with reality and a couple of them will probably have to you know go bankrupt um but even what you saw with like the robin i mean yeah. just the fact that people are committing suicide 
on Robin because of Robin Hood yeah. not showing correct balances and people not understanding when dollars are going to hit an account if you're trading futures versus if you're trading th- th- like the fuck are we doing and how are they allowed to do that it is insane that we are letting 20 to 30 year olds it, it's insane that we're letting humans no matter their age if they are not in some way certified going to do that yeah in my opinion yeah yeah i i agree with all that i think in some ways uh it is we have 20 year olds with disposable income but they can't afford a house so they got to put it somewhere right. and right. Uh, oh, I could potentially not. Or they don't see the value in a house, mm-hmm. right? Like that was never explained to them. Like they're mm-hmm. they're going to rent forever. They're going to own nothing and be happy, mm-hmm. right? And they just don't even know the opposite of that. Yeah. And there's a potential I could hit it big and I don't have to do physical labor to do it. Mm-hmm. So how can I take it? I think everybody's in, looking for a shortcut. Yeah. And unfortunately, totally you get all these like influencers who yeah. are like, hey, and they have just enough truth behind their advice that it sounds believable. Yeah. That they're like, oh, I'm gonna. This person knows. Like, listen, all this this stuff makes sense. This stuff doesn't. But I can't tell a difference anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. served up in TikTok short yeah. bites, and it feels like an easy way. That is the one of the grossest parts of this world to me. Is that is the like I I don't have as much like whatever. If you're like a budgeting thought leader, you know, and you're just like getting people onto uh, doing their envelope budgeting, yeah. but it, like go have fun, whatever, do your thing. That's fine. But recently, I think those people have fallen victim and fallen into the trap of like, oh, well, what if you got a Robin Hood code? What if this? Yeah. What if that? Right? It's a really slippery slope into the gambling world. Um, so from my opinion, like there are very few things more disgusting than that TikTok influencer telling you that they have some sort of magical sauce that will get you to actually yeah. make money when you trade, yeah. you know, on a regular basis. I don't think it's, it's a coincidence that the t- that, you know, they say that, you know, 20-year-olds are more interested in investing at the same time that FanDuel and DraftKings and all of that have just exploded. It's yeah. it's the same it's the same chemical drip in your brain that that's firing off. Totally. Um, I would put Robin hood right in with DraftKings, and like, it's really no different. I mean, to the point where I bet if Robin hood said, we're going to have a daily coin flip and you can bet on heads or tail. Like I think 70% of their users would be like, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in, you know? (laughs) And it's like, hold on. This is a fucking investing app. Why are you betting on a coin flip? I agree. I, you know, it, it's funny. I had read that headline and then I'm over at the coffee shop next yeah. door and a guy half my age is sitting there reading The Intelligent Investor, which, oh, you know, it's like, that's shocking. I know. I had actually just read that about a year before. Okay. And so I don't know the guy, but I go over to him. I go, hey, it's a great book. And he just kind of looks up and nods. And then I walk out. I'm like, well, that's encouraging, right? Yeah. Like that we got 20 year olds reading the, you know, this. 600 page intelligent yeah. investor book which basically says you should probably just be a passive investor and not be active that's basically yeah the, that's the cliff notes it took, it took you 600 pages for him to say just put it in index yeah. and let it ride yeah but i walked i thought that's encouraging and then as i walked further into you know in the office i'm like i bet he doesn't follow it i bet i bet he you know it was recommended he read he read it and he's like oh this isn't the shortcut i was after it I'll do something else. You know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, but also that that person, I bet, is different long term. The fact that he picked up a book exactly is so encouraging. It's just so encouraging. Exactly. So that's the thing. It's like, yeah, maybe you know, he's reading Intelligent Investor, sitting there at Messenger, and you know, at the same time checking if his uh, you know Dogecoin is going up right. or down. But 
three years from now, like that book maybe sticks with him in a way where he ends up realizing and like loses enough money on Dogecoin. That's this sure. perfect storm that leads him to actually being one of the more rational yeah. financial opinions in Kansas City or something, right? Yeah. Like I think that's and that's why I try not to I try not to get too deep into like shitting on specific users of these companies because yeah. It, like, I, I don't know. We I'm, just talked about it. Sometimes yeah. you have to do something painful to learn. Exactly. And I certainly wasn't reading that book in my 20s. No. It, it took me yeah. until I was 40s to read it. Yeah, I respect it. You yeah. know, I mean, it, as long as you're like taking a step in the right direction and or not even as long as you're taking steps, right? Like you're going to learn some shit and eventually you'll get on the right track. But I think the biggest thing is, well, I was about to say curiosity, but actually in this case, it is it's skepticism again. It's balancing the skepticism and the curiosity together, I think. So tell me a little bit about the role that you're in with Money 2020. Like, how do you spend your time? Yeah. What, what charges you up about it? And like, where, how do you, I mean, we started off talking about kind of like your personal story and like what motivates you on a personal yeah. level. Like, how do you get a flex that through this role? Yeah, um, it's weird. So at, fast forward from the previous story, I've been in FinTech for like nine, 10 years and never thought I wanted to get into events. Um, but one event every year for the past four years I've gone to has been just game changing for me. And it's been money 2020. Four days in Vegas, just the most you can learn, the most people you can meet, the most business you can do. Just it's a FinTech finance nerd's dream, right? And um, when I was getting recruited for it, I was still like, I don't think I want to work in events. So uh, I uh, so I just like kind of did the Heisman as long as I could. Like I was working for a um, banking as a service startup in San Francisco that I think will die very soon, um, but was an interesting learning experience. But I was starting to see the writing on the wall. So came over and basically the job is that thing that in Vegas that happens, there's a lot of speakers that go to it. It is my job and my team's job to get the speakers up on stage. And then I, you know, tell a story around my, me and my team tell a story around what's happening in finance this year. That's how we pick the speakers, yada, 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 yada. And then from there, I'm also doing a decent amount of speaking as well um, and run a podcast on the side obsessed with FinTech. So it's, it really is a nerd's dream. You know, I mean, my job is pretty much to satiate enough internal shit that I continue to run the event in the right way and that we continue to like build creative new stages and things like that. But for the rest of the time, I pretty much get to just like swim around in financial nerdiness and talk to people about it. So it's accidentally a dream job. Yeah. And in terms of like satiating that kind of that thing, it really comes down to what I was saying before about the neck turning the head, right? So it's a, it's a big fat Greek wedding quote from the, the matriarch of the family that she's like, you know, the Greek mother is not the, the head of the family. She's the neck that turns the head, right? And that always resonated with me based on where I came from. I mean, just I, I one day want to start a company. I think that probably my next step after Money 2020 will be that, I think. Um, don't know, I think. But... I'm not there yet. And this is the like, this is the only place where I'm able to really wrap my head around the entire industry and be able to at the same time impact it. Right. So I've kind of had this thing in my career that I actually only realized after coming to Money 2020, where I would like every couple of years go up to like 50,000 feet, figure out like a big problem sort of thing, and then come back down and like try and solve it for a year or two. And then go back up to 50,000 feet, come back down like into a startup try and solve it generally didn't then go back up and just come down up down up down um 
And this is one of those up periods where I still feel like I'm down because I'm actually getting to help founders. I'm actually getting to put people like it's a very unique position to be able to queen make, king make and like pick, you know, there's Jamie Dimon is always going to be Jamie Dimon. Vitalik that I mentioned earlier is going to be Vitalik, um, yada, yada, yada. But I'm in a position where if I decide that this startup has the potential to do something wild, I can put them in a place where suddenly 20,000 of the most important people in finance see them in a completely different way and they'd probably never heard of them before, right? So I don't flex that muscle often because it's a big fucking risk, but it's a really cool thing to be able to do sometimes. And it is a position where I get to change people's lives without having to deploy any capital or without having to yeah. you know, do much other than like kind of just do my job. And that is very gratifying. Yeah. Yeah. And I just know where all the bodies are buried now too. It's right, pretty yeah. fucking fun. Yes. <laughs> Dude, the amount of like the amount of shit I shouldn't know that I know is also fun. Yeah. Well, it feels to me like you're getting like your PhD in this stuff, you know, and paid for yeah. it. Right. While you figure out like, you know, how long do I want to do this and what it, what would be a next move? And in the meantime, you get to like network and, and understand like, Oh, I thought that was interesting. It's not, you know, yeah. now that I know more about it or know who's in it. And that yeah. Type of thing, so, yeah. I mean, even just like this, uh, <laughs> the FTX thing has been absolutely hilarious. You yeah. know, uh, we had the president of FTX US on stage last year and a week and a half. And he, he stepped down like six weeks before the show. And I was like, that's interesting. I wonder if he's still going to be able to speak. And then FTX just let him speak. I mean, well, not that they really had any control, but I think he would sure. have, you know, respected it if they didn't say, okay. But now in retrospect, I'm like, well, they were flying close to the sun the whole time. So of course yeah. they were just okay letting anybody say anything. We almost had SBF come to the show. Yeah. And that would have been, I mean, wild. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's you it, it's it's a really wild learning experience in terms of my own judgment. And I mean, I fully bought in like hook line sinker into the whole FTX thing. I was like, holy hell, like SBF's the smartest guy that's ever been. I mean, he's younger than me like all of these things. And, you know, there's a rude awakening. It's tough. It, and it's, it's <laughs> tough from a distance sometimes um, because everything, I mean, oftentimes if you're on the outside uh, looking in, there's a ton of positive reinforcement that says, this is a good thing. You, this is a safe, this is a safe batch. You can right. co-sign on this all day long. Yeah. Um, well, and again, yeah. a lot of people aren't skeptical enough or curious enough to like dig in and be like, is this real? And, and are we just all agreeing to this? Or is there something here that maybe I need to look at? Which is, sounds like you have the motivation to put in some time and thought to make sure is this big thing a big deal or is this little thing getting overlooked and maybe I can shine a light on it? Hopefully. I mean, it's such a big ecosystem that I feel like it's impossible for any yeah. singular human to truly do that. But like, that's the goal yeah. for sure. That is what I, you know, spend every waking hour trying to figure out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's cool. We need more people that are doing it that in that way. I mean, this is a little bit of what we're trying to do here is not only have interesting conversations, but like, yeah who is deserving of a spotlight that maybe isn't getting the biggest one. Yeah. I love the name of the show. Yeah. And, and, and who is doing something we feel like is positive that we put just like a little bit of our platform is small, but we're trying to, it's another little step, right? Yeah. You, you have influence over a major platform, but you're doing, you're trying to do it the right way. Right. So trying to, yeah. I mean, it's weird to base again, based on how I grew up and everything else, like it's weird to be in a position to be able to, 
put people up in that way and to be able to, you know, to be able to help people that much. That's so exciting. we've overdosed on the word skepticism. What are some of the things that you're optimistic about? Like if you look at what's happening right now, or maybe like in the next five years, you're like, man, I hope this gets to this point or these, yeah. these, this group succeeds or that thing, that idea succeeds. What are, what makes you optimistic? Yeah. So I think, I think regulating the blockchain and cryptocurrency as it should be regulated as a financial instrument and as a value transfer instrument, like that is such a nerdy thing to be optimistic about, but I really hope that we do that right. And I think, I think that we have simultaneously as an industry shot the bed so hard and created enough excitement and real use cases that I think that the government can't just shut everything down. They can't just say like, no, this is bad. We're going to like give you payday loan level, you know, regulations. Like I think that they're going to have to see the forest through the trees and actually do something good and rational, which could absolutely change the world in terms of just the infrastructure ability to move money in a way that it hasn't been able to do it before in an interoperable fashion. Like that's just in a nerdy way, very, very exciting. Beyond that, I mean, I think that we're, I I think we're reaching a point in FinTech specifically where the, the first and the second wave of FinTech companies have grown up into financial services companies Mm -hmm. and that i think is fucking awesome Mm -hmm. like the fact that adian and stripe are you know two of the largest payment processors in the world now right like that's so it's in their bones it's in the yeah yeah, exactly and like they're still doing the other cool stuff they're still doing all of the stuff that is you know what got them there Mm -hmm. that's so fucking cool it's really exciting um can betterment eventually compete with the Schwabs of the world, right? Is Wealthfront actually going to be able to maintain mm-hmm. its position as a valuable member of the retirement planning world, right? All of that is like really, really, really interesting. What I'm curious about is the next wave after that. And I'm optimistically skeptical of this whole AI thing. I think it's really interesting, but I also think that people are really getting caught up in the hype in a way that is not that shocking because we've seen it happen before and not that shocking because it's incredibly exciting technology, but like pump the brakes folks a little bit here, you know, like how much it seems like everybody has already crowned OpenAI as the thing, right? It's like they are the one. Chat GPT is the only thing like is we, and that's a, non-nuanced perspective granted but it's the perspective of 95 percent of society because 95 percent of the society doesn't actually understand what we're talking about it's the first one that a lot of people got scared and excited about yeah exactly because the others we don't have access to right to scare us and excite us exactly but the upside is kind of capped there right like the the fact that the fact that microsoft invested where they did the all like there's a lot there that we're we're all just assuming that's going to be very successful and i think it will be but Maybe it's the web van of AI. Maybe it's just gotten so much funding and it, it's proved out a lot of good things and like it's doing, you know, wonderful stuff. And it might be parsing this right now and I'm on some bad list, but maybe I don't know. And that's the thing of after FTX, I've just decided I don't know shit anymore, yeah. you know? And I think that's the way that we should all function is like, 
I'm excited by these things, but also the thing that I'm excited by might fall apart tomorrow and die. And I shouldn't be that surprised by that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a maturation process. Yeah. You hope that everybody gets to the point in their life where they realize they're not that bright. Right. <laughs> yeah. Even this, well, that's the craziest thing is you meet the smartest people in the world and they're most of the time asking other people questions. Yeah. 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 It takes time to get there. You, you have to be convinced you're smart for a long time before you learn enough to realize like, Oh, actually there's a big world and I don't know much about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the fun of it. Like yeah. the way that you actually get to be the person that knows the stuff is admitting you don't know the stuff right. and asking the people that do know the stuff, yeah. right? Like that's the fun of it. Yeah. But it helps to have conversations like this because it helps you open your eyes and see a different point of view and you, the blind spot gets removed with every conversation and yeah. you do that professionally. So yeah, and I'm, I mean, and I'm doing it as a volunteer service basically, <laughs> right? Cause I want to be in it too. So, Hey, let's wrap it up by talking a little bit about where people can learn more about money 2020 and the work yeah. that you guys are doing. Cause I know you put a lot of effort into it. So I'd love to yeah. make sure that more people get eyeballs on it. I love it. Um, plugs. So money, 2020.com, uh, is the best place to find money 2020 info. You can follow us on Twitter or whatever. It's pretty, pretty easy to track us down. We're generally trying to sell you tickets. Mm -hmm. So you'll, if you get there, you'll probably get retargeted. Yep. Um, <laughs> beyond that, I run a podcast on the side called for FinTech sake. Um, that'll be going through a rebrand soon, but that's for fintechsake.com. We send like a weekly email, um, and do very regular podcasts outside of that. Um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. You follow me on Twitter at Zach Pettit and yeah, reach out. Let's have a conversation and, uh, nerd out on some things. Yeah.